Okay, so today I'm in a rather awkward position. This morning I woke up and my phone told me that today was the GNOME 43 release date. So I was actually waiting for the announcement to actually make an episode about all the new features. However, at the time of recording, it's not out yet. And the idea of Linux Daily is that you're always up to date. However, I, I don't actually record episodes in the morning that I release them. I record them obviously the afternoon of the day before. And since it's not out yet, Yet, there's not much I can do so I will have to skip this and talk about this when it's actually released even if tomorrow you wake up with GNOME 43 or it's in this afternoon I can't do anything about that. I can however say a couple of things. First of all GNOME 43 seemed to be released in Fedora 37 beta so if you want to use GNOME 43 the actual GNOME 43 you can already try out that. Also all the episodes of this podcast are released one day before so as soon as I record them to the Patreons. So if you go to my Patreon and donate something you will get to the group and get access to all of my podcasts the day before which might be useful to you. I don't know. But anyway let's get to the news. This is Linux Daily. Let's start off the day with a couple of significant updates. The first one is PeerTube. We have the release of PeerTube version 4.3. Just in case you don't know what that is, it is a free software alternative to YouTube, basically. It's decentralized, so everybody can have its own instance and you can upload videos and use it as if it again was YouTube. All of my videos, by the way, are on the KDE's instance of uh, PeerTube, so if you prefer not to use YouTube, you can. This release of PeerTube brings a very important feature. It is actually so important that the release text says this is THE feature. You can now automatically import all videos from a remote channel from another video platform, such as, again, YouTube, into one of your PeerTube channels. This is very useful if you're a video maker like me, publishing on several platforms who want to make your channel visible on PeerTube as well. Now, in theory, until now, you had to actually upload manually all episodes that you record both to YouTube and PeerTube or any other platform. However, with this feature, you can now synchronize it automatically. You already had this via some scripts, but now it's actually within the PeerTube UI, which is very nice to have. This feature supports both synchronizing all of the existing videos, but also making sure that it keeps on being synchronized as soon as more videos are published. There are also many improvements to the UI to make it more user-friendly. Actually, they work with a designer from La Cooperative des Internet, which I surely pronounced wrong, and now there has been a revamp of the Signup page, which is now much, much prettier, but also clearer. The text that actually explained to you why you should create a new account and how to do that are were improved. So, of course, I cannot explain to you what the visual changes are, but you can, again, look into the podcast description and open up the PeerTube announcement to actually see the screenshots. There's also improvements for live streams. Before this update, before and after live streams, the screen would just go black, which seemed to be, of course, not working. Now it actually says that live stream hasn't been started yet or has already finished. Finally, the instance owners get more control regarding deleting files and transcoding of files. And also there's new two languages that are supported by PeerTube, Tokipona and Croatian. 
Now, the PeerTube teams roughly release a major version every year, and the last one, PeerTube 4, was released in December 2021, so I wouldn't be surprised if we actually reach version 5 in just a couple of months from now. Two days ago, we also see the release of Firefox 105. We've already talked about the changes when talking about the beta. We also get the option to actually print only the current page from the print preview and also swipe to navigate now works on Windows as well. There's also bug fixes on uh, improving performance on Windows, but I think that the user that are listening to this podcast maybe are not too interested in that part. Okay, I kept the most interesting news for the very end. Do you know Jeremy Soller, which again probably isn't pronounced like that? He is a principal engineer at System76, is also a maintainer of PopOS and also has created his own OS, which is called Redox OS. What's that? To keep it really simple, it is a Unix-like operating system, but it is written in Rust. So. Wow, I have a very deep respect for all people that that are actually able to like write an operating system from scratch. I kind of recognize some words from the documentation, like I know what microkernel design means, I think, but also drivers run in user space. But as a whole, I just cannot fully understand this as I fully don't understand Linux either. Okay, so why am I talking about this? Redox OS has a public donation address and they have received an anonymous donation that is 299 Ether, which is equivalent to 393,000 USD. That's like a lot. And I guess there's also a lot to discuss on things like taxes to actually understand how to use this money. And Jeremy says that I have no idea what to do with this money right now, but I will do more research and get into the details with you later, which is understandable. I'm just so impressed that there is somebody out there who wants a Rust-based operating system so much that they are willing to donate almost 400,000 USD to it. So that is pretty big news. What do you think about that? How do you think a small OS project that's probably developed by not that big of a community should handle a donation this large? If it was for a community that I manage, I would like totally panic day one. So let me know. Finally, you might have heard that the very popular I don't care about cookies extension has been acquired by Avast and many people just don't trust Avast, which is reasonable, I guess. What the extension does very simply is that it gets rid of all cookie warnings from almost all websites. And if you want to use it or if you were using it but stopped after it was acquired by Avast, there is now an alternative that is a fork that got rid, it says, of the bloat. I'm not sure what bloat it refers to, but you can use it. It is in the link in the podcast description, as always. So that was everything for today. Thanks for following along and see you tomorrow with another episode. The last one of the week, I think. I I think, right?